Chapter fourteen of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter fourteen. It passed in an instant, that sense of strain and weirdness and unreality. It was Mademoiselle Roland herself who broke the spell. Will I do? she asked, and swept a beaming glance around upon us. Jimmy got hastily to his feet, and I dare say he was blushing under his makeup. but it was Creel who first regained the power of speech. Do, he echoed. Why, you're the real thing. Just look at those natives. At the sound of her voice, the prostate fellaheen had looked up dazedly, but they did not rise from their knees. They crouched there, staring stupidly, with wide-open mouths, as though not knowing whether to believe their eyes or their ears. Their eyes told them that they were in the presence of a veritable princess of ancient Egypt. Yes, and perhaps some more subtle sense confirmed it, while their ears bore evidence that it was only one of the company of mad foreigners, whose strange actions passed all comprehension. But Mustafa, who had recovered in a moment, spoke to them sharply, telling them, I suppose, not to be fools, and they got slowly to their feet. Creel watched them regretfully. Too bad we didn't have the camera ready when they got down like that, he said. We can never get them to do it again. Oh, yes, you can, broke in Davis who was combing his beard feverishly with his fingers. All you need is a scepter. Maybe we'll find one before we get through with these excavations. He had never taken his eyes from the girl since the instant of her appearance, and I had never before seen him so excited. I hope we do, said Creel. Now let's get busy. Bring up the camels, Mustafa. Very good, sir. And Mustafa sprang to obey. Five of the caparisoned camels were brought up, and by impassioned objurgation and jerks and kicks, compelled to kneel. Seeing what a job it is, I don't blame a camel for not wanting to kneel. This one is yours, princess, said Creel, indicating the most gorgeous beast, and giving Mademoiselle Roland the title which we all instantly felt to be appropriate. We'll help you up. She came forward smiling, but she didn't need any help, at least not Creel's, for she turned to Jimmy and held out her hand with a gesture truly regal, and he sprang forward and caught the hand, and supported her as she stepped up into the awkward seat, as easily and gracefully as though she had done it a thousand times. Wait, roared Creel. We must have that. Billy, bring up your box. Put it right here. Get down again, princess. He took a rapid survey of the scene to be sure everything was all right and that there would be no false note. Trust Creel for seeing all that at a glance. Bring those warriors up a little closer, Mustafa. Put the rest of the natives back under those palms. Now, you two women stand over here. Digby, get there by the camel's head. A little more to the right, Jimmy. As the princess comes forward, you will all bow, slowly like this. Get out of range, Professor. We can't have you in this. Now, let's try it. Splendid. Are you ready, Billy? All ready, I said. All right. Now, princess. Now, Billy. She came forward regally, with eyes only for the king, for Jimmy, and heaven knows his eyes were only for her, and gave him her hand. It thrilled me to see how the natives bowed before her. No acting about that. And with a single graceful motion, she stepped up into the seat. Hold her hand an instant, Jimmy, as though you couldn't let it go, Creel commanded. But Jimmy didn't need to be told. He had the actor's instinct for such things. Now let it go. Make the camel get up, Mustafa. Lead him off, Digby. That's right. Now get on your camel, Jimmy. That's it. Splendid. For Jimmy had stepped into his seat with simple dignity. Off you go. Now you two women on the next ones. Oh, my God, no, stop, Billy, stop. For Molly and Ma Creel were floundering desperately in their efforts to reach their seats. 
we'll have to cut just when they turn toward their camels he said to me what's the matter with you two lobsters anyway seeing that this is the first time i ever rode a camel retorted ma creel i don't know what else you could expect oh oh she screamed for the camel had begun to rise tossing like a boat in a stormy sea molly didn't scream she just clenched her teeth and hung on for dear life she hadn't served her apprenticeship as a movie actress for nothing but it wasn't till i saw how awkward they were that i realized the finish of the performance which jimmy and the princess had given us it's the first time for all of us said creel and i wondered if he realized how remarkable it was but all right you're up now come along billy and he led the way under the palms and out into the desert to walk through red-hot sand up to your ankles with a heavy camera over your shoulder and a burning sun blazing down upon you isn't exactly a pleasant job but i never thought of it i was so uplifted and excited as i toiled along after creel i could see that he was excited and uplifted too and didn't feel the sun or mind the sand any more than i did verily enthusiasm is a mighty thing well we got some scenes of the caparisoned caravan out in the desert and then approaching the oasis from the same point that the other caravan had so the audience would at once spot the fact that it was the same place and when that was done creel dismissed the players i'll want you in the morning early jimmy he said in your khaki i don't think i'll need you princess until afternoon put your box away billy and come with me we've got a lot of work to do yet i'll want four of your natives mustafa very good sir said mustafa who was divesting himself of his gorgeous raiment with evident regret while digby and ma creel still in costume checked up the trappings which had been worn by the camels and the natives it developed that what creel wanted the four natives for was to carry the fake papier-mache coffin containing the fake papier-mache mummy over to the ruins and when we got there we found that davis had already put to work all the rest of the natives and that the debris was pretty well cleared away we'll be ready to start real work in the morning he said coming forward when he saw us and i noticed that he had discarded his pistol then he saw the men with the coffin what the deuce is that he asked that's a mummy said creel we've got to plant it somewhere so that jimmy can dig it out in the morning we'll tear out a piece of that wall and put the coffin behind it and then put the wall back up again my dear sir davis objected a coffin like that would be found only in a regular tomb and protected by a sarcophagus why it's a royal coffin he added taking a closer look at it it's a copy of one in the met creel explained but to suppose that it would be stuck anywhere behind a wall its occupant was only a slave girl creel explained then there wouldn't be any coffin coffins weren't wasted on slaves oh there's got to be a coffin said creel nobody ever heard of digging up a mummy without a coffin but any egyptologist will tell you we'll have to do without the egyptologists said creel cheerfully i don't imagine there are over a dozen or so in america not enough to affect our receipts carry it down into the hole boys they didn't understand the words but they did the gesture and they lugged the coffin down the double staircase and set it down at the bottom of the excavation davis followed combing his beard uneasily see here creel he said if you'll wait a few days maybe i'll find a tomb for you with a real mummy we can't take the chance said creel in motion pictures you've got to know just what you're going to find before you start to find it also just how long it will take there's the footage to consider i want to do this job in about two hundred feet that is to say three minutes besides a real mummy wouldn't do it's too fragile this one is built to stand a lot of handling let's take a look at it said davis sure assented creel and raised the lid proudly the natives who had been standing curiously about took one look at what lay inside the coffin and then with a whoop of terror they raced up the steps and out of sight 
What the deuce is the matter with those fellows? Creel demanded, staring after them. One would think they had seen mummies enough. Davis, who had been gazing down at the weird figure and combing his beard excitedly, broke in with a laugh. Why, it's the Flinders mummy, he said. Flinders? questioned Creel. That doesn't sound like an Egyptian name. It's the name of the man who found it, at Nebesheth. It was never in a coffin. It had been buried alive. Creel stared at him an instant with shining eyes. Then he struck his thigh a ringing blow. Buried alive, he cried. Whoopee! Professor, you've given me one word I need. I've got the story now. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. It was Davis's turn to stare. I don't get you, he said. There was one weak point in the story, Creel explained, more and more elated, and it bothered me. But buried alive, it's perfect. It's consummate. It rivets the whole thing together into a watertight, unsinkable bit of logic. But come on, let's get to work. We'll put it behind the wall without any coffin. I hope the Egyptologists will be pleased, Professor. They ought to give us some testimonials. We can get the buried alive idea across in an instant. No, by George, we'll show it. We'll show the princess being buried alive by her ruthless lover. He looked around the excavation and saw that it was empty. Get those natives back here, Mustafa, and set them to work on that wall. I'm feared, sir, said Mustafa slowly, that perhaps they will not. I looked at Mustafa and saw that he himself was plainly disturbed and uneasy. Why not? demanded Creel. It is what he is called. Manua, forbidden, unclean, explained Mustafa with a gesture toward the coffin. Why, man, said Creel, and jerked the figure upright by one arm. It isn't a real mummy. It's just a lot of papier-mâché. Come here and feel it. Mustafa obliged unwillingly, but the instant he touched the figure, his face cleared. I understand, sir, he said. I bring them, and he hurried up the steps. Davis, too, had felt inquiringly of the mummy. Clever piece of work, he commented. Isn't it? agreed Creel proudly. But let me get the dope about this burying alive business. Was it often done? It was the usual punishment for certain crimes, said Davis. This woman probably committed blasphemy, desecrated an altar or something like that. That is the reason mummies of this sort are considered unclean, and the superstition comes down even to the modern Egyptians, as you have seen. Besides, it isn't a real mummy. It hasn't been eviscerated or wrapped. It's just a dried-up human body. I see, said Creel. A king might inflict such a punishment upon a favorite whom he had tired of or had grown to hate. Yes, I suppose so. A king could do about anything he pleased in those days. And his conscience might trouble him about it afterward? No, I don't think a little thing like that would trouble a king of ancient Egypt. Besides, if the punishment was deserved, but suppose he found out it wasn't. He might regret his haste. I doubt if he would go farther than that. My king did, said Creel positively. You see, he was an unusually enlightened and conscientious monarch, far ahead of his age. It got to weighing on his mind, and finally, as a kind of penance, he had himself buried out here in the desert, beside the place where he had walled up the woman. We can use the mummy case for him. And then, four thousand years later, reincarnated as a young and handsome Egyptologist. There aren't any young, handsome Egyptologists, objected Davis. They're all old, dried-up cranks like me. Yes, there is one, said Creel, and his name is Jimmy Allen and some mysterious influence draws him to this spot, and he digs up the mummy of his four-thousand-year-old love, and of course recognizes her at a glance, scoffed Davis. No, yelled Creel, but she recognizes him. Gorgeous, gorgeous. And just then Mustafa came back with the natives, and Creel refused to tell us any more. But Davis confided his opinion to me in a brief aside. He's crazy, he said. I confess I didn't see myself, how a mummy that had been dead for four thousand years 
could recognize anybody but my faith in creel was absolute and i knew that in some way he would put it over End of chapter 14